0: by V. Whitehall, Glens Falls. It's 8 o'clock. This is Northern Light for Tuesday, December 12th. A federal appeals court upheld many of New York's gun restrictions. More details coming up. School districts in the North Country are not only feeling the impacts of inflation in their annual budget, but it's also taking a big chunk out of their f- capital improvement projects.
1: 20% of that capital project, so $12.6 million is towards escalation in bidding that will happen between the vote now and when we actually go out to purchase the things that have been quoted now because you know inflation is going to raise those
0: prices. Also just a few years ago Old Forge was a total childcare desert but that all changed when a child care center opened in a really convenient location, the local school.
2: We're not bursting at the seams, we're actually dealing with a lesser number. How do we use the space? How do we benefit the community? How do we keep the number from dropping lower?
0: And we'll listen back to a North Country man's memories of his grandmother's favorite bread recipe. All that's coming up on Northern Light. Stay tuned. Broadcast of Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio is supported by St. Lawrence Health, committed to keeping the community healthy and safe by providing vaccines for patients to strengthen their defenses, stlawrencehealthsystem.org. And by Long Run Wealth, an SEC-registered investment advisor in Lake Placid, providing comprehensive wealth management, retirement, and financial planning solutions, longrunwealth.com.
3: This is Northern Light. I'm Monica
0: Sandresky. And I'm Todd Moe. New York Health State Health Commissioner James McDonald says that RSV is the virus that's circulating the most widely this holiday season, followed by COVID-19 and the flu. Karen DeWitt spoke with the commissioner and got his advice on how to stay healthy and not miss all the fun we
3: made it through Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's are coming up. We're in the middle of Hanukkah. What recommendations do you have for people to stay safe when they go to a large gathering?
4: You know, and I, I think it's important to have this as context. We're starting to see COVID hospitalizations increase right now. So like at last week's data, you're seeing this increase. So I think it's important to, when you're going to a holiday gathering, if you're sick, I wouldn't go to your holiday gathering. I think that's just a really important point is if you're not feeling well, you're not going to have a good time and you're probably going to spread your infection. So call your host and say, thanks for the invitation, but I'm not going to go. And I think your host will appreciate that. I think the other thing to think about is like, you know, if I've got holiday parties planned and, you know, I hope you do because I want you to have fun. Make sure you're up to date with your vaccine. So if you're 60 and older with an underlying health condition, let's get that RSV vaccine for you. If you're someone who, you know, hasn't gotten the flu vaccine, let's work on that as well. And if you haven't gotten the COVID vaccine, you know, we got a list going. Why don't we just check that off too?
3: Is there any time that that someone should
5: wear a mask?
4: You know, I think wearing a mask is up to you. You know, if you're going to wear a mask, I wear an N95 mask. So one example of when I wear a mask is I go visit my mom in the nursing home and there's COVID in nursing home. So I wear an N95 mask. My dad does too. If you're someone who's quite frankly got an immune system that's not working like it should work. You should wear a mask when you're out in public, especially if you're indoors. But there's folks who just feel more comfortable wearing a mask, too. And by all means, please do that. I think if you're going to wear a mask, though, get the highest quality mask you can find, which is a 95 And they're widely available now. It's not like in the past when you had a hard time getting them. So those are some times when I wear a mask. And I think when folks should think about it.
3: And here's another question I hope that you can help me clear up. Do the at-home COVID tests still work? I know I've been debating this among my friends where some say they're not as effective. Others, certain gatherings I go to, people want me to test in advance. Are they as effective as they were with the new strains of the virus? And when is it appropriate to do a rapid test?
4: You know, so the current at-home tests still work well with the variants that are circulating. And right now, the variants of COVID that are circulating are the Omicron subvariants, And really... 2023 has been the year of the Omicron subvariant. They just changed letters, but it's still the same Omicron subvariant. So those tests are still helpful. I think when you're, you know, if you're, if you're symptomatic, that's when the tests are designed for, and that's when the tests work the best. You know, and if you get a a negative on day one and you want to test again on day two, that's fine. You know, they do have less accuracy when you have no symptoms at all, but they have some value. So if you're positive, you know that. You know, but really what they're designed for is testing someone who's got symptoms and they're really easy to do it at home. And, and that's the nice thing. They're covered by people's health insurance. So it really gives you a nice, easy tool to use. If you have COVID to one, Hey, I got COVID. I shouldn't go to work today or shouldn't be outside. And then I need to contact my health care provider to see if I need to be treated with Paxlovid and see if that, if that's right for me as well.
3: Ruling from a federal appeals court says that New York state can continue to enforce laws banning firearms in certain sensitive locations, WXXI's excise Randy Gorman reports.
6: The ruling on Friday from the Second U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals issued a more than 260-page decision, its first broad review of a host of new gun rules passed in the state after a landmark Supreme Court ruling last year. State Attorney General Letitia James praised the decision to permit the state to enforce critical parts of the concealed carry improvement law, including keeping guns away from places like schools, hospitals, parks, and public transportation. But the three-judge panel also blocked some aspects of New York's new gun rules, including a ban on people bringing firearms into houses of worship. The court also rejected a requirement that applicants for a handgun license turn over a list of their social media accounts, citing free speech concerns. The ruling by the appeals court is at an early stage of a legal battle seen as eventually likely to wind up before the Supreme Court again after the justices in 2022 struck down New York's old rules for getting a license to carry a handgun outside the home. For North Country Public Radio, I'm Randy Gortman.
3: A minor earthquake rattled parts of the North Country just before 5 o'clock yesterday afternoon. According to the U.S. Geological Survey, the 2.8-magnitude tremor was centered 5.5 miles north-northwest of Canton in St. Lawrence County. Those who experienced it heard and felt a loud thump followed by a rumble that lasted for a few seconds the north country isn't a stranger to occasional seismic activity geologist dr alexander stewart of st lawrence university told ncpr earlier this year the north country tends to experience five to ten minor earthquakes a year the area from buffalo to quebec city can experience a couple hundred in a year
0: A new solar facility has been approved in northern Franklin County. Governor Hochul announced on Friday the final site permit has been granted to Brookside Solar. The approval will let them develop, operate, and eventually decommission a 100-megawatt solar plant in the towns of Chattagay and Burke. The project is expected to create more than 130 full-time construction and maintenance jobs and reduce carbon emissions by more than 130,000 metric tons. Brookside Solar, which will pay nearly $13 million to the county, towns, and schools over its first 20 years in lieu of taxes.
3: School districts in the North Country are feeling the pressure of inflation, and it's affecting their annual budgets and plans for future renovations. Katherine Wheeler reports.
5: School districts have to take care of their buildings, and it never stops.
1: Anyone who owns a home or, or rents a home and sees what your landlords and things have to do to keep up, you know, things need to be replaced.
5: That's Chris Rose. He's superintendent of Brazier Falls Central School District. This week, the district is asking voters to approve a $12.6 million capital improvement project. Rose says that includes repairing roofs, fixing up athletic fields, and much more. But he says one thing alone is taking up a fifth of that money, inflation.
1: 20% of that capital project, the so $12.6 million is towards escalation and bidding that'll happen between the vote now and when we actually go out to purchase the things that
6: have been quoted now because you know inflation is going to raise those prices.
5: Inflation isn't just hitting schools' future plans. Some schools that approved their construction projects years ago are now running out of money faster because of inflation. Districts, I've got to believe, have been finding this planning process moving forward more challenging than ever. That's Jefferson Lewis-Bosey Superintendent Stephen Todd. He says inflation challenges go beyond big capital projects. It's eating into their year-to-year budgets. Todd says schools usually anticipate a two to three percent annual increase in state funding, but that's not keeping up with what things cost now, especially wages. So, if you think about a school district which has the vast majority of its expense in the uh, staffing part of their budget, and you've got increases in salaries and wages going up by higher than the rate where your anticipated income is coming in, it makes you know the, it makes some some tricky calculation in the budgeting. Todd says schools are anxious about the state's education funding for next year. There are things we know that we don't know, which is what is going to be the rate of increase of foundation aid this year, next year, the year after? What is the financial outlook of the state of New York going to be uh, year after year after year, which drives what those percentages will be? Back in Brazier, Superintendent Chris Rose says he's focused on one unknown right now, if voters will say yes to their capital project. Along with Brazier, communities in Parishville and Governor vote on similar proposals this week. Votes in Ogdensburg and Morristown will be held in the coming months. Catherine Wheeler, North Country Public Radio.
0: Three North Country businesses are getting over half a million dollars to expand meat processing. The Hudson Valley Agribusiness Development Corporation has awarded 26 businesses across the state with over $4 million as part of the Meat Processing Expansion Grant Program. In St. Lawrence County, Brazier Falls Tri-Town Packing will receive $250,000. Red Barn and McRes Packing in Lewis County will also get over $100,000 each. The awards will increase the state's meat processing capacity by nearly 5 million pounds. Per year.
3: And the trail to Scarface Mountain and Saranac Lake is closed. The Department of Environmental Conservation announced Saturday that the bridge across Ray Brook, which is near the trailhead, is unsafe for use. Both the bridge and the Scarface Mountain Trail will be closed until the bridge is replaced. The DEC warns people to avoid crossing the bridge or the brook below on foot. Scarface is one of the six peaks in the Saranac Lake Sixer Hiking Challenge. <laughs>
0: Listening to Northern Lights here on North Country Public Radio. It's 12 minutes past eight. Good morning. I'm Todd Moe. And I'm
3: Monica Sandreski. Tis the season for holiday baking. Coming up, we'll listen back to a North Country man's memories of his grandmother's favorite bread recipe. That conversation coming up in just a few minutes here on Northern Light. And we wonder if you've made a financial gift to NCPR this year. If so, thank you so much for your support. If not, you can still mail your 2023 donation to NCPR St. Lawrence University, Canton, New York, 13617, or donate 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 online at ncpr.org slash give. And thank you and happy holidays from everyone at North Country Public Radio.
0: Music by Zoe Knight out of Potsdam. Northern Light is supported by St. Lawrence Health, committed to keeping the community healthy and safe by providing vaccines for patients to strengthen their defenses, stlawrencehealthsystem.org. And Long Run Wealth, an SEC-registered investment advisor in Lake Placid, providing comprehensive wealth management, retirement, and financial planning solutions, longrunwealth.com.
3: Just a few years ago, Old Forge in the southwestern Adirondacks was a childcare desert. The nearest childcare center was 40 miles away, and there were no licensed home daycares in town. But that all changed when a childcare center opened in a really convenient location—the local school. Amy Fireisel reports.
7: Yes, I will. Inside the Healthy Kids Daycare in Old Forge, toddlers are playing with puzzles, a miniature kitchen, with their favorite stuffed animals. Is that your puppy Daisy? Yeah. Is that your favorite stuffy? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Twenty-one-year-old Sage Rao is an assistant teacher. She shows me the class pet named TikTok. He is a betta fish, and the kids just adore him. <laughs> It's your classic daycare, except for one thing. It's inside a school, specifically the town of Webb Union Free School in Old Forge. That's pretty unusual. Child care and K-12 schools are governed by totally different state agencies and usually don't have much overlap. But with no formal childcare in town, John Swick, the school principal, says it was hard to hire and retain staff with young kids.
2: It was just this hill that we knew we were going to have to climb and and looking for solutions all over the place.
7: One solution was in their own building. Like many North Country districts, they had space because of declining student enrollment.
2: We're not bursting at the seams. We're actually dealing with a lesser number. How do we use the space? How do we benefit the community? How do we keep the number from dropping lower?
7: Their answer was to donate their extra space, about three rooms, to a daycare operator. And after a long and rocky road, this daycare was the result. Where'd you get your zebras, Leaf? What? It opened in September of 2020. <laughs> Swick zebras? takes me outside to the daycare's community entrance.
2: And it's connected right to our main front circle, which has worked out great for parents dropping off.
7: They made renovations, the walkway, exit doors, a new bathroom, with a $250,000 grant from the Community Foundation of Herkimer and Oneida Counties. But the biggest task was finding someone willing to operate the daycare.
2: And luckily, um, Steve took took a chance on us and said, we want to try out this model.
7: Steve is Steve Dweck, the CEO of Healthy Kids, one of the largest childcare operators in the Northeast, with about 100 locations in New York. Dweck says the center in a school concept was exciting.
3: So we saw this and we thought this is brilliant. It, it solves so many problems
7: like community need, teacher retention, and money. With the school providing the space, running the center costs a lot less. That made it financially possible to get this center off the ground.
3: Rural is tough. And so from the get-go, this was gonna be a long-term project. It's gonna take a while to tell the community that it's here, which means almost before they've even thought about having a baby, they need to know daycare is here.
7: Dweck says it'll be at least five years before they can really say if this is a sustainable model. But it couldn't be easier for families. School and childcare, all in one place. The center's capacity is 31 kids. Actual enrollment has bounced between about 10 and 20, depending on the season and on staffing, which has been the single biggest obstacle, says center director Michelle Wood. Staffing, you need commitment, and you need quality. But it's not high-paid work, nor is it high-regarded, says Wood. But it is important. I see us as community members and pillars in the community. Wood is the second director of the center, and she's a recent transplant to Old Forge from Albany. She says for the staff that they do have, which is three, soon to be four, they've been pretty full. Here I was thinking we were going to get a little bit of a break this past summer, and we were maxed out. I pray for being bored sometimes, I'll be honest. And luckily, staffing has stabilized recently, especially with the addition of 21-year-old local Sage Rao. Sage has been a blessing. Rao is from Old Forge and was actually a student here at the school and did an internship in the daycare when she was a senior. She started working here in the spring and says she loves it. Nine o'clock at night I'm like, oh I wonder what my kids are doing. This is kind of her dream job. I always tell my mom, you know, one day I'm going to be a daycare teacher and one day I'm going to be a daycare teacher. Rao says she likes the center structure. She has co-workers and doesn't have to deal with much paperwork the way she would if she was a home provider. And it's steady money, a rarity in Old Forge, you know, a lot of the work around here is seasonal. So you're here from maybe June till September, and then you have no work until you know snow season hits. And then if we don't get snow, you're not making any money. But Rao knows she'll have her hours. Back in the toddler room, it's later in the afternoon, and some kids are getting picked up. <laughs> That's Leif Thompson, and he's not thrilled I'm talking to his mommy. So your name, your age, (laughs) and who you're the mommy to. (laughs) My name is Megan Merrill. My significant other is Brett Thompson, and our son is Leif
5: Thompson. And he has been in this program since he's been about three months old. So we're very happy to have the program here in Old Forge. That's because
7: Merrill used to live in Utica and moved here during the pandemic. She says the child care center is what allowed them to stay. Um, it was a great opportunity for me to still be able to work from home and have childcare close by without having to relocate back to our original area where we were living at the time. That's music to the ears of John Swick and Steve Dwyer. That the center could be a draw for new population or the reason a local family could stay. Don't Amy Fireisel, North Country Public Radio in Old Forge.
0: You're listening to Northern Light here on North Country Public Radio. I'm Todd Moe.
3: And I'm Monica Sandresky. In just a minute, a North Country man remembers his grandmother's baking advice. You'll know. Then stick around after the show for Bird Note. To out-sip their competition, sword-billed hummingbirds have a distinct adaptation. These birds' beaks are longer than their bodies. We'll hear more about them coming up at 842. But first, Todd has a look at the weather
0: for us. Mix of sun, clouds, some mixed precipitation today, sunshine in places like Saratoga Springs and Lake George, partly cloudy throughout the Adirondacks and the Champlain Valley. Uh, mixed precipitation possible in the St. Lawrence Valley today and uh, also along eastern Lake Ontario. And then some lake effect snows moving into uh, Jefferson and Lewis counties tonight and through tomorrow. There is a winter weather advisory in effect with a few inches of lake effect snow possible by tomorrow night in places like Watertown, Lowville, Boonville, uh, the Thousand Islands, Fort Drum. Uh, right now uh, here in Canton, clouds and 32 degrees. As snow and ice start to blanket the region, we want to know what December looks like through your eyes. Text the word December to NCPR's texting club number. That's 315-978-6277. Then send your photos and stories, what you're doing this time of year, the winter wonderland in your backyard, and your favorite holiday traditions. So what's bringing you joy in this darkest part of the year? Maybe it's... Baking, maybe baking bread. A few winters ago, we shared stories of baking and breaking bread with family, friends, and community, and how bread plays a part in daily life and celebrations. In a moment, we'll listen again as Phil Harnden shares a memory of his grandmother's kitchen and baking habits. Phil lives in DeKalb Junction in St. Lawrence County. He's a baker, and his grandmother's recipe for Swedish limpa bread hangs on the wall beside his oven. Born in Sweden, his grandmother was known for her rolls, coffee, cake, and breads. She eventually shared her recipe for her brown bread, which became a family favorite. But Phil says her recipe was always somewhat vague, requiring a dash of baking intuition.
1: The first baker I ever knew was my grandmother, Anna Marie Edstrom. In 1889, when she was 10 years old, she emigrated from Sweden with her parents. I'm sure that by that age she had already begun helping her mother bake bread. Ten years later, she married a young Swede who had arrived from a farm in the old country. They settled in a little town just west of Chicago. By the time I appeared on the scene, my grandmother's baking routine was set. Friday mornings were for bread, Saturday mornings were for rolls and coffee cake. During the years my family lived nearby, we enjoyed Grandma's bread throughout the week, and when she sent over her coffee cake for our Sunday morning breakfast, she always included a special small coffee cake baked just for me. When I was a small boy visiting Grandma's house, I might be allowed to put my hands in the big flour bin. That pulled out like a drawer in her pantry. With spoons and measuring cups, I could create castles and roads in the wonderfully silky flour. Sometimes I could sneak a fingerful of fresh dough that Grandma had rising in a big bowl set near the heating vent. I know she disapproved, but I never got a scolding. My mother and her three sisters used to complain that Grandma never wrote down a recipe for her bread. How much of this and how long for that, they'd ask her. You'll know, was all she'd say. You'll know. Maybe this is why none of her daughters took up bread baking in their own households. As an inattentive teenager, I suppose I thought Grandma would bake bread forever, if I thought of it at all. But my youthful distraction ended one week in early March
7: 1968.
1: On that Friday morning, Grandma baked her bread, and the next day, Saturday, she baked her rolls. But afterward, she told my Aunt Isabel, the daughter who lived with her, that she was tired and wanted to rest. She sat down in her chair near the fireplace. Later that evening, she died. I can't remember how we ate those final loaves, and that bothers me. It seems now that breaking that bread should have been almost sacramental, but I only remember the grief and the loss we all felt. Many years later, when Aunt Isabel was herself in her mid-90s and the only one of the sisters still living. She asked me to retrieve a box that was high on her closet shelf, too high for her to reach anymore. It was full of useless stuff, she said, that needed to be thrown out. And it did contain a lot of odds and ends, mostly old newspaper clippings, a few photographs, some handwritten notes whose meaning was now lost. But then I found it, a simple three-by-five index card in my grandmother's unmistakable handwriting. The heading read, Swedish Limpa, the bread we all called Grandma's Brown Bread. I knew immediately that I would frame it and hang it on the wall beside the oven where I bake bread. Her recipe on that 3x5 card lists the expected ingredients milk and rye flour aniseed and mashed potato the yeast and the salt and molasses and the once popular fluffo a vegetable shortening from Canada. Perhaps not surprisingly what's missing are any directions on what to do with all those ingredients. No hints on proofing the yeast no instructions for kneading No baking time or even oven temperature. But every time I look at her handwriting, I can hear Grandma's reassuring voice. You'll know, she says. Yeah, you'll know.
0: Phil Harndon shared a memory of his grandmother's kitchen and baking habits and bread recipe as part of our Breadtime Stories from a few years back. Phil lives in DeKalb Junction in St. Lawrence County. And yes, we have a photo of that postcard size recipe for his grandmother's Swedish limpa bread on our website at ncpr.org.
3: That does signal that it's the end of the show. But before we go, I want to remind you to check out the current exhibit on display at the Tannery Pond Community Center in North Creek at the Woodland Gallery. It's the art of illustration, and it features original painted illustrations from children's books created by local artists Kate Hartley, Jan Palmer, and Anthony Ricci, as well as Jan Palmer's new Witches Dance Portraits. That's currently on display through the end of the week at the Tannery Pond Community Center in North Creek. You can find out more at tannerypondcenter.org.
0: Listen back to stories you've heard over the last half hour on Northern Light on our website anytime at ncpr.org.
3: You can also listen back to the archive any place you get your podcasts. And while you're there, check out our daily news roundup, Story of the Day, or a storytelling podcast, The Howl Podcast, or a magazine-style show, North Words. All of those are available any place you get your podcasts. I'm Monica Sandresky.
0: And I'm Todd Mo. Be well.